There it is. God has blessed me and, and encouraged me today. I, I wondered if I would read something in here that would lift me up and that would uh, edify what I've been feeling in my spirit. I recorded a 50-minute a message today called The Rotten Fruit of Charismatics, and it was my basically just monologue on the fact that I see all these, quote, spirit-filled people and things happening, yet their lives don't seem to indicate they live like Christians at all. And so throughout the message, I talked about the necessary... Um, fruit, the, the judgment of, of looking at their fruit, knowing a tree by its fruit. And then I see all this rotten fruit in spite of how hyper-spiritual some of these people think they are. I just now get to page 205. This has been four hours ago. I get to page 205 in the chapter on the spirit and sanctification. And I read this paragraph. The apostle's point is that those who are spirit-filled seek to please God by pursuing practical holiness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 2 Peter 3.18. The tragic irony is that the movement labeling itself as, quote, spirit-filled is notorious for sexual immorality, financial impropriety, and ostentatious worldliness in the lives of its most visible leaders. As we saw in chapter 4, the charismatic movement is regularly stained by scandal. No matter how many times people are, quote, slain in the spirit or, quote, speak in tongues, it is the fruit of their lives that reveals the true nature of their hearts. Those whose behavior is characterized by the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, are not filled with the spirit, no matter how many ecstatic episodes they claim to have experienced. He just said in five sentences what I spent 50 minutes uh basically discoursing on. So this was very, very, very encouraging. This happens quite often where I will, the Lord will um, just have me record something or something will be on my heart and then shortly after I'll read it. I have many books that have written, praise God, I just either wrote about this or talked about this a couple of days ago. And so here it is written right in my journal entry, right in my page 205. Very exciting. I didn't even barely just hang up my recorder. And I'm already just crying because my father is so helpful to me. He's so, um, so blessing to me. I, um, I just prayed today so often in my prayers, like, Father, I need you to refresh me. Lord, I'm feeling all alone in this and I'm feeling just my foundations being shaken. And I ask the father for a refreshment and he does this to me every single time. I just get an email from Sarah Kent. And it just says, my prayer for you is that the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit shall abide with you each and every day of 2014. She writes, I am so blessed by your daily videos, Michael. You are such a blessing, and you show the love of Jesus straight from your heart. I hope you and your children are all well and happy. I hope you got to see them over Christmas holidays. God bless you in the name of the Lord, Sarah Kent. Oh, I just, this is uh, one of my guys from my Bible studies, and I just looked up and saw 111 on the recording. It just flashed, 111. But this is just one of the guys, um, Wes's mom's best friend. They've actually invited me to come to their church and speak in a Bible study or something. So and I'm just so blessed to see what they just what she just wrote. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. That's the encouragement I needed today. That's the Lord showing me that He's with me and I can trust in Him instead of the circumstances. Everything's going to be okay. The other thing I've noticed that's a little weird is I've seen 11-11 three times in the last two days. I've seen it once today and I believe I saw it twice yesterday, if not three days in a row. And that is a warning sign to me. I need to make sure I pay attention. I don't know who's going to show up or what, but I've been thinking, hmm, I wonder who's going to, who I'm going to see today. I've been pretty isolated, but just trying to pay attention to that. Um, finished watching the whole series or the whole uh, sermon today, Waiting for the Lord by Charles Stanley, and it was just incredible. It speaks so much to what I'm going through as I'm waiting upon the Lord. I um, have seen 525 and 9.19, while I was watching the sermon on waiting on the Lord, I see a 9.19. That is, you know, wait on the Lord. Um, and so, I'm feeling like the Lord is telling me to wait 
to before I share any with anybody what's going on. My mom came and of course had a, a conversation with me this morning, sat down and tried to ask me, you know, are you doing okay? One of those things. Um, I could tell where we were going with this and I told her I'm just waiting on the Lord. And she used an example of um, women who want to look pretty and then the women who try too hard and put on the mini skirts and do all this stuff and all that. And, and I could clearly tell she's suggesting that I'm, you know, fake or trying too hard or trying to put on a show to make myself look better than I am. It was really just really bizarre. But I, I didn't say anything. I just said, well, you're not me. My walk's not your walk. I'm doing something different. Let it go. So now I'm feeling led uh, to work on the 212 story a little bit. And my my big boy Nathan's turning eight years old in a couple of days. So I'm going to be working on his video probably later tonight. And um, make him a nice birthday video. And I'm um, taking a little bit of a break from all the learning. I feel extremely confident that the teacher that I want to, to follow, uh, the two teachers I want to primarily focus on learning from are John MacArthur and Charles Stanley. I'm not entirely sure that John MacArthur believes that God will speak to you through his word outside of his word, meaning that he would direct you um, in prayer or give you thoughts of words or direct your circumstances or even speak a word, you know, fire your attorney, that kind of thing. I'm not 100% sure if he believes in that or not. Charles Stanley very much so does. Um, very much seems to line up with what my experience has been. I mean, God will give you a promise. Don't worry about it. When, you know, if you'll trust God, nobody can take away from you what God has drawn a circle around and put your name on. And really just believe uh, 100% with what Charles Stanley is teaching. Uh, more so than any teacher I've, I've ever uh, listened to. So I'm still going to continue to learn from both of these guys. I feel clearly that um, that John MacArthur is a, is a great man of God, a great teacher of God. So I'm going to continue to, to seek his stuff out too. But I think I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a break from it today. And I um, all of this study can make you so weary. And you have to be so careful uh, to not miss the presence of the Lord. Studying in and of itself is, is not sitting in the presence of the Lord or praying or remaining in His love. It's uh, certainly part of our diligence to do that, but I could see how you could go dry if all you did was study and you could go to seminary and lose the Lord. I mean, I see that absolutely. So I'm um, just trying to put my focus and thoughts and trust back on Him to wait patiently for Him to let me know what's next. And I believe the Lord is telling me to sit still before I tell anybody and to not jump yet. I don't know what that implies because I don't feel that I'm supposed to go back to that church. I feel like I need to move on. But I don't even have my own car. I can't go anywhere. So I don't know exactly what the Lord is telling me to do. So I'm still waiting. Um, and just waiting for Him to give me a word. I just want to make sure that it's clear that uh, this morning's... Uh, event was seeing 525 in the morning and then 919 and my mom was sandwiched in the middle this has happened so many times now she came to me after i saw the 525 it's like god's sandwiches it's almost like how he used to do with the 222s he would show me one or multiple ones and then i'd get a job offer and then he would show me a 222 on the other side of it like really directing my path, really confirming with his word. So um, uh, I just want to make sure I'm keeping track of all this. This is just really incredible. Just got off the phone with the kids and had a conversation with Chelsea. And at some point in the conversation, she begins to say that Coach had said, you know, why would your dad not get a job, you know, and apparently he'd start attacking the fact that I'm not working, which I completely understand from his viewpoint why he would do it. And then also um, began to accuse about, you know, why would God tell your dad not to come get you for Christmas? This opened up an opportunity for me to have a really long conversation with Chelsea about faith in God and about how everything that I'm doing through obedience will make me look like a fool. I asked her and begged her to trust me and, and said, look, do you remember that huge house we lived in? And she said, yeah. And I said, baby, where do you think the money came from all that? And she said, you, daddy. And I said, yes, honey. I said, daddy has the ability to make a bunch of money. And I told her that I have turned down $350,000 in the last two years between two years for the salary and other jobs that were offered to me. 
because of my obedience to God, and I'm suffering as a result, but it's temporary. God is going to bless your father, I told her, and she will see, and she will know, and she will remember the night, after all the pain that we had to go through, that Daddy told her God would come through, and he was right. And she will see this, and she'll be able to stand on the faithfulness of God. But I heard Ashley in the background saying, Oh, you're not supposed to tell. Meaning, they he the coach continually tells things to them, and then tells them not to tell me. And I just again said, Look, I'm not bothered by anything he says at all. I pray for him. I love him. I understand his position. I said, I, I don't want you guys to feel like you have to keep secrets. I said, If you want to tell Dad, you can. I said, but just remember that any time an adult tells you something and they're angry and saying not nice things about another person and they tell you not to say anything, that's wrong. That's a sin. And so just told them the truth and let it go. But um, I got to pray for her again. And, and she's just such a precious, precious little young lady. And it was a wonderful conversation. And I was really blessed and told her, just keep the faith, watch and see, and you will see God deliver your daddy. And there come, there's going to come a day. I can't wait because I'm going to spoil him. I'm going to do something really awesome for him when God gives me a breakthrough. I'm going to do something really awesome to show them God's faithfulness. They have suffered a lot, and I know God wants to bless them. It'll be an amazing way for them at such young ages to see God's faithfulness in a real faith walk which involves obedience, which involves suffering, which is done through waiting. After getting off the phone call with Chelsea and hearing about, you know, the more slander and the difficulties that she's hearing about and praying with her and encouraging her, I go out to the hot tub and I'm out there and I just had one of the most wonderful, spirit-filled times of prayer, just so energetic, so encouraged. Michael Commentary. The most important subject in Christianity and the most important principle I now believe is the principle of prayer. My brothers and sisters, I've made this point in some specific messages where I've talked about the essentials of prayer. I've talked about the powerful principles I've discovered in the years uh, behind me in prayer and what other great men and women of God I've learned from them about prayer and I want to recommend to you, maybe you take a pause. If your prayer life is not vibrant, if it's not consistent, if it's not alive, if it's not empowering you, if you're not seeing the blessing of God in your heart, if you're not seeing the answers to prayer that you're hoping for, maybe take a pause from trusting God in the wilderness after this recording. Go back to RelentlessHeart.com, click the Messages button, Select the category prayer and listen to those recordings. I just made a message for a dear brother in New Zealand yesterday. And in response to something that he was struggling with, I said, I want you to go back and begin to listen to these Trusting God in the Wilderness series recordings. And I said, I want you to notice two themes as you listen to all my recordings. Underneath of every tear, underneath of every answered prayer, good circumstance, underneath of every persecution, underneath of every financial difficulty, underneath of every difficult parental alienation moment, I want you to see two themes, and that is the theme of faith and a theme of prayer. If you'll notice, in almost all of my recordings, I'm mentioning either just coming out of prayer or just getting ready to go back in to prayer. I am living a life of prayer. I cannot underline this word enough. I cannot highlight this principle enough. This is so important that everything you're hearing me live, every word God is speaking to me, giving me guidance, like wait in just a few recordings until you find out why God was showing me all these 1111s. And it has to do with the church. Wait until you hear. And God sandwiching the Galatians 5.25 and the Numbers 9.19, you know, on both sides of my mom trying to put more pressure on me to move ahead of this whole thing I'm doing, sitting around waiting on God. You've heard how God is guiding me. You've heard all this incredible guidance. You've heard the answered prayers. You hear God even after my worst moments. He is sustaining me. He's keeping me going. How does a guy keep going like this? I'll tell you how he keeps going. He keeps going through prayer. When somebody compares the strength of my faith to theirs, or somebody compares uh, their perseverance to mine, or somebody compares their burning heart for God to mine, 
or answered prayers to mine, they first need to be wise enough to compare their prayer life to mine. There's no doubt people that may look at people like myself or people that we've read about or people that you maybe work with or go to church with where they just seem to have more of God in their life. Their light burns brighter than other Christians. They have more vibrancy in their walk with God. God seems to be more involved in their life than perhaps in yours. And the theme there is going to be a theme of prayer. The difference between a Christian who is experiencing God and truly walking with God and those who do not is the difference between a vibrant prayer life, a consistent prayer life, and a dead prayer life. Uh, Recently, I've been reading some incredible books, uh, some of the dead men saints that I just love, the giants of the faith, and in particular, two of them handled this subject of prayer. And as I'm listening to these books, I'm able to say yes and amen because they've been my reality. They're in the Trusting God in the Wilderness series. It's just that God has given these men the ability to articulate these principles better than I can, to consciously understand them better than I can. But nonetheless, I'm benefiting from them and I want you to benefit from them. And one of these men says, a prayerless Christian is a Christian that God cannot save. That there is no such thing as a Christian who gets to inherit eternal life, who has never taken the time to develop a relationship with God through prayer. A prayerless Christian does not exist in heaven. And there are so many Christians who are going through all the motions and doing all the activities in the churches and all these things, but yet they do not intentionally commune with the Lord. Eternal life, John 17, 3, is to know God. To know God is to speak to Him in everything by prayer, prayer without ceasing. And so I want you to see how did Michael Criswell get through all of this that you're hearing him get through and get to this place where he's at today in the promised land. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I am in the promised land. It may not look like the same promised land that the Israelites had in the land of Canaan, but I tell you, I am in possession of the promised land. And God has more for me in this promised land as I'm going to continue to take over more territory, all of that which my feet touches in this promised land by faith. But watch, how I got here is one word and one word only. It is prayer. Now, see, faith is a prerequisite for prayer. If you don't have faith, why even bother to go pray to God unless you're just trying to impress those around you and get other people to believe you have this relationship or you're just going through the habit of what, quote, Christians do. They pray over meals. Do you know that I don't even hardly pray over meals anymore? I stopped doing that years ago because I found it was just so religious, so obligatory. Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray over your meals. And occasionally I still do in my heart. I'll just say, God, I give thanks. But my whole life is prayer. I don't just show up at the dinner table and say some prayer that I've said a thousand times mindlessly and heartlessly and begin to think that God is so pleased with me or that my Christianity somehow or another is good, vibrant, well, healthy. No, I don't have to pray over my meals because I spend perhaps a few hours a day in prayer every single day. And I am constantly praying to God. There's been times I've been embracing a person in a hug or in a conversation with them. And in my heart, I'm praying on behalf of what I perceive to be that person's need. There is a ceaselessness in my prayer. It never stops. I don't mean I pray literally every moment of every day, but my whole life is an attitude of prayer. So there's not this need for me to go make sure I check the box on prayer by praying at a meal and doing what what good religious Bible Belt Christians do. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray over your meals. I'm not saying as a family or your, but listen, if that is the major extent of your prayer, if when I look at your prayer life, the most consistent thing about it is that you pray over your meals, I tell you the God's honest truth, you don't have a prayer life that can save you. That's the truth. Let me just be so bold and tell you that there are millions of hypocritical, religious, going through the motion folks out there who can pray the most eloquent before sermon prayers, before dinner prayers, before bed prayers. I'm talking about praying from your heart. When I pray to God, I pray to Him from my heart. I have a relationship with Him. God sees that I'm communicating to Him through my heart. There's an openness to it. There's a life to it, a vibrancy to it. Okay, I didn't get there to start. You don't start with that. 
But God has to see that you're desiring to speak to him. God has to see that you have the faith to come to him. And God has to see that you have the desire for him. So here's the main point I want to make in this commentary is that everything you hear in these recordings, every difficulty I'm getting through, every faith I'm filled with, every answered prayer that comes true, it's all happening by prayer. God is working on my behalf through prayer. Jesus is with me by prayer. Jesus is strengthening me by prayer. Jesus is making me fruitful by prayer. Jesus is helping me to persevere by prayer. Jesus is meeting my needs by prayer. Jesus is increasing my character, my long suffering, teaching me how to wait for him, teaching me how to know him, teaching me how to grow in holiness and sanctification, helping me to overcome self, the world, and Satan. It's all happening by prayer. And everything that I have today that I'm able to say to you in these recordings with such conviction, the boldness with which I've been given as a man of God has come by one thing and one thing only. What is it? It's by prayer. If your prayer life is not working, your life with God is not working. And you should not have any confidence before God here if your prayer life is not vibrant, consistent, deep, from the heart and effective How much less confidence should you have when you one day, on the other side of death in this life, stand before God in eternal life without an effective prayer life? End of commentary. After getting off the phone call with Chelsea and hearing about, you know, the more slander and the difficulties that she's hearing about and praying with her and encouraging her, I go out to the hot tub and I'm out there and I just had one of the most wonderful spirit-filled times of prayer, just so energetic, so encouraged, as if I'm already restored fully, as if God's already blessed me abundantly in every way possible. My heart was filled to overflowing. And as I walked inside the door, it just the, the thought occurred to me that this happens so often that persecution comes, either through a family member, a friend, uh, through what my children are experiencing with her you know, my ex-wife and her family towards me, that persecution brings about an invigoration of the Spirit. It energizes it. I don't know how to explain it. I've heard that uh, great revivals have often been followed by great periods of persecution, but that persecution somehow or another strengthens your faith and strengthens your resolve if you run to God in prayer. And I just felt so encouraged. This is an interesting insight, I think, the Lord just gave me the other day when I was studying on Strange Fire book and hearing about all these deceived charismatics and sitting here just so perplexed at how could somebody be so deceived and get caught up? How can people go to that kind of stuff and think that's okay? Tonight, I was thinking about it again. And I just thought to myself, the Lord turns people over to their stubborn, obstinate, hard-hearted, reprobate minds. And there's scriptural basis for this. That after a while, if you don't seek God, if you claim to seek Him, a non-believer is void of this. I really believe that God treats a non-believer with more mercy uh, because they don't know any better. Unless they've had an opportunity and then they blatantly reject the offer that's different but people who are just running around living their life versus a christian a person who calls themselves a christian and a follower of jesus and then turns around and mocks this the holy spirit i saw an 11:44 the other day and i'm like okay lord all right well so what is that and i went back into my bible it's page 11:44 and i'm like it's the verse jeremiah 17:7 7 through 8 and i'm like or 5 through 8 and i'm like or what does that have to do with anything? Or, uh, is it the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure? Who can understand it? I couldn't understand. I, the Lord, searched the heart and examined the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Verse 10, I'm like, what? I'm not seeing what the message is. So tonight, I am online and I'm reading a thing about the new apostolic revival which is the whole John and Carol are not Toronto blessing, uh, Mike Bickle from IHOP in Kansas City, and uh, Bill and Benny Johnson from Bethel. 
people that I was introduced to through this girl, uh, Tanya, I started going, wow, look at this. And I started getting sucked into it. Even though I was skeptical, I got sucked in it. I wanted to have the power to, to heal people, the prophecy. I started being so hungry to have that experience and going, God, you know, why am I missing out on something? And I just began to listen to their teaching and I began to see things that I wasn't seeing in the messages. And I began to go, wait a second. Slowly but surely, my eyes started opening and then I heard a blatant, incorrect teaching. This is where the spirit of discernment is so necessary and why it's so important that you know all of your Bible. Because these false teachers may know a lot of the Bible stories or a lot of the scripture, but they'll twist them. And you can know, wait a second, there's something wrong. I have seen Reinhard Bonnke do this, and now I, and I saw Chris Valentin do this. But totally, I mean, an almost a blasphemous, total opposite, contradictory to what the, the spirit behind the word is, they totally contradicted it. Chris Valentin's was on the pillar of salt that Lot's wife turned into. Reinhard Bonnke's was on lion tearing them to pieces and they're only being pieces of a leg in their mouth and pieces of an ear. Both of these guys completely distorted these teachings. So I started going, wait a second. Then I started doing research and found out online these guys are heretics. I mean, big time false, false prophets. And yet it looks like everything's above board. There's some things that you go, wow, that's weird. But the, there's the power to suck you in so much that you almost want to turn away from the weird so that you can look at the power stuff. And it's exciting and energetic and enticing. And you see this, and I can see why it's so hard for people to get out of this. But I was reading on this guy's blog tonight about this, and he was talking about that these people are under curses. And he had put together this blog of people's lives that have been ruined by the new apostolic revival movement. And these just horrific stories. I mean, people dying of diseases after getting prayed for healings, divorces. One lady sitting in the office, a young lady is sitting in the congregation, and Chris Valentin prophesies and says, You, you, you're going to be a Supreme Court justice. This lady had no desire to be in law. She's in business in her career, uh, in her uh, college education. She derails that, gets into law. She was engaged. She knocks off the uh, engagement, and their their lives are essentially ruined because of a prof pr prophetic word that she just didn't put any thought to. She just took off and started doing it, totally trusted the guy. And so this guy was talking about the curse, that, that you know, these people are cursed because they're depending upon man. And instead of going to God, they're going to man. And I thought, wow, he didn't name any scriptures, he just said it. Then tonight I'm sitting here reading something in Jonathan Edwards' book, and it takes me to a scripture in Hosea, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really, something is starting to come together here for me. Hosea chapter 5, 13, when Israel and Judah saw how sick they were, a lot of people go to these people for healings, it says they turned to Assyria, to the great king there, but he could neither help nor cure them. God speaking, I will be like a lion to Israel. Like a strong young lion to Judah, I will tear them to pieces. I will carry them off, and no one will be left to rescue them. Then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. What an amazingly powerful passage of scripture. Israel is sick. They turn to a king, a man on earth, Assyria, for help. And God curses them because he didn't, they didn't turn. I have seen this multiple times. This also happens to King Ahab, who ends up dying of an illness. He ends up going to battle. I think it's either Ahab or Asa. He goes to battle, and he depends upon other kings instead of God. He's cursed. Then he gets a foot disease, and instead of depending upon praying for God, the Bible says he went to his physicians only. Shortly after that, he ended up dying. God was, was deeply distressed with this 
guy. And then I realized the other day, God is showing me 1144. 1144. While I'm doing this study. Here it is. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. This is the exact description of what is happening to these people in these charismatic movements. There was a poll taken. He took a poll. 21 people answered. 35% of the 21 people said that their lives had been made worse since joining the new apostolic revelation uh, revival. I'm sure if they took a much wider poll of audience members, there would be a whole lot more people that would say their lives are ruined. This was the case for my friend Tanya. Her life was completely derailed, train wrecked. She was mad at God. She was living in her car. She traveled to 37 different places, constantly on the move for a man, a new job, or a new city, totally uncontent. Her and her parents don't want to hear anything about it. I've tried to talk to them about this. They're in complete denial. And here's the answer. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh. These people that are running to men for their words of knowledge, for their words of prophecy, for their healings, for these fake prosperity teachers to tell them what they want to hear, I have noticed there's a constant desire. These people have a need to constantly run to the next conference, run to the next prophetic thing, get the next word, get the next healing. They're constantly running to these men. I don't see them in their Bibles. I don't see them seeking God. On the contrary, what does Charles Stanley and John MacArthur talk about? It seems like every other three or four sentences in their mouth, they're pointing people to go back to the scriptures. Back to your Bible, that the Bible is all you need. John MacArthur is pleading with people, you don't need extra revelation from men. God's revealed word is all you need. He can use his word to direct your life and path. I've seen this. I don't need to have any direct new revelation. I don't have to have any man prophesy to me about what God's doing. God's using his word to speak to me. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's verse 9, but... So cursed, this is it. This is what charismaniacs are, are, are... It's putting the emphasis on trusting in men that have the, quote, gifts of the Spirit. They're putting focus on men rather than focus on God. Verse 7 says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. This is my experience. Here I have placed my confidence in the Lord. I'm in a year of drought, and yet I'm still bearing fruit. Take my friend, this other lady that I had spoken to about this. Her life is cursed. She's completely miserable. Every day she puts on a fake smile for the world, but below it she's absolutely hurting. She's mad at God. She doesn't feel loved by her father. She's dying to have a, a husband. She's chasing a job. She's chasing a new city. She constantly wants to move. She's constantly complaining about where she's at. That doesn't sound like a person who's blessed to the Lord. That sounds like a person who's cursed. And the reason is, is because she started running to these men Instead of running to God, she started running to the prophet and running to these wolves in sheep's clothing instead of running to God. God has just opened my eyes after seven days of studying this and really trying to, to get my hands around this. God has just opened my eyes to something that I don't think I've even heard MacArthur talk about, the need to not put your trust in man. He may have mentioned it in places here and there, but... I don't remember there being a real big devout thing, but the interesting thing is, is I read a part in his book tonight where he talked about the danger of going to these places and getting these prophetic words because people get these words and then they turn around and they make decisions, major life decisions on them because they feel like that's what God told them to do. And all of a sudden I just went, oh my goodness. I thought that this guy that's coming to our church, Greg DeVries, is a false prophet. I looked up online, 
And I saw people saying, oh, I can't wait. Greg's coming to our church. Well, yeah, years ago he came and he told me I was like dental floss. I'm still trying to live up to that. And another lady said he was some just really metaphorical, ridiculous. And I'm thinking, does this sound like something that a spirit-filled man of God, does this sound like something that a Jonathan Edwards or a Charles Spurgeon or a Charles Stanley or, you know, any of these John, John MacArthur, any of these guys would say, or even the Apostle Paul, would he would he would the Apostle Paul walk up to somebody and prophesy over to them and say, You're like dental floss. I guess meaning cleaning out stuff in between tight reached places. But would who would use that? Who, what man of God would use that kind of an analogy who truly knew the Spirit of Christ? Does does God do that? No, I don't think so. And so I started going there was a, the other one was even worse than that. I can't remember what it was. But this had been years earlier, and the lady's like, yeah, I'm still trying to live up to that one. And the reason is, is because it's not true. He just made up some words out of his own imagination, the Bible says. And people are so excited. Oh, I got a word from the Lord. They automatically thanked it because it's coming from some, quote, man of God, self-proclaimed prophet, that it's God himself speaking to them. This opens up people to horrific deception. I'm sitting in church. This guy picks my friend up. My friend and I have been praying every day that God would give him, you know, an answer on does he need to sell his business or, you know, what's he need to do. And he was miserable in his business, give him direction on his life and all that. We're sitting there and the guy starts rattling off in the middle of the sermon a prophecy to him about his whole life's been a case study and one case study after this. And the Lord wants you to know, you know, he's getting ready to give you some great revelation and that your life is getting ready to dramatically change, and, oh, it's going to cost you something on the way, but God's going to give you these great revelations, and you're going to need to sell out everything. Michael Commentary. Okay, I'm about to let you hear the actual recordings of this false prophecy that I'm referencing in this recording. I'm going to let you hear two of them. They happened on nights that this particular church I was going to called The Rock was having at that time called uh, Encounter Nights. And they would bring in these prophets and there would be these, quote, manifestations, speaking in tongues, people having hands uh, laid on them. Sometimes people would fall under being, quote, slain in the spirit, prophecies, words of knowledge, impartations, all kinds of things were happening. And these were designed uh, to be a little bit more of an open, free environment for what would have been seen as inappropriate or scary to the Sunday morning church. So the church began doing this. And so this gentleman has come in. His name is Greg DeVries. Now I'm sitting in the audience. I'm sitting with a man from my Bible study who is going to be uh, the person who's going to receive the second false prophecy that you'll hear in these recordings. Now this guy was affiliated with this church at this time. From what I understand years later, he's no longer affiliated with this church and apparently some things have changed. Nonetheless, This is what happened at the church I was going to at the time God was calling me out of this church and opening up my eyes to the counterfeit in Christianity. Now, again, counterfeit Christianity very rarely looks like a $100 monopoly bill. In other words, we have a tendency to believe that, oh, if this is a real $100 bill, counterfeit is what we see in the monopoly board game. No, the counterfeit $100 bill looks almost identical to the authentic. It takes a very, very keen eye and very close observation to discern and detect a counterfeit. I believe this man that you're hearing is very sincere. I do not believe he's there intentionally deceiving people. I could be wrong. I believe uh, I discern his heart as being sincere. I simply believe he is deceived. There are all kinds of testimonies from people that were in this NAR, New Apostolic Revival movement, who began to question, wait a second, am I being given this insight about people's lives based upon God's Holy Spirit and word to them? Or is it possible I am divining this information, that this is a spirit of divination, that perhaps demons are giving me this insight? You've heard me mention this before if you've listened to my recordings long. The late, great Dave Hunt, he's going to a conference in India. Michael has lived in India. I'm married to an Indian. The first demon-possessed person I ever saw in public outside of a conference was in India at the train station. The first demon I ever saw in my life manifested was in India. It is indeed a place where Satan has his throne. And David Hunt gets off of this bus 
in India on a way to a conference and a man comes up to him. He's surprised. He's thinking it's supposed to be somebody else. This man assures him that he knows who Dave Hunt is. He knows you are from California. He knows you are from Calvary Chapel. He knows that you're here to go to this conference. And this man is able to tell Dave Hunt very specific things about his life. This is a demon-possessed man who has been given insight into his life and details in order to take him away from the conference. God only knows what this person may have been wanting to do to Dave Hunt. There's very few people that lived that were more outspoken against false Christianity, against the coming one world religion of the Antichrist, this Eastern mysticism, New Age garbage, than Dave Hunt. Very, very outspoken and very intelligent, traveled all over the world studying world religions. There's no doubt in my mind he would have been an absolute target for Satan. And here, David discerned, this man did not know this because somebody told him. This man knew these things about me because a devil had told him about this. So, we have to understand devils are in these, quote, houses of God, and devils have the ability to discern information. When you read the book that's right here on my left shoulder, The Kingdom of the Occult, and you read about the seances, and you read about all these people contacting the dead, and you read about all the details that come back that only Cousin Joey could have possibly known who's died in a car accident three years. And then you begin to see the rest of the story and you begin to see the fruit and you begin to see the insight that uh, people who studied this come into and you begin to realize this is actual demonic entities who sit around just as my son who stands 10 feet from me was able to testify to me when he was 12 years old, dad, this house is filled with demons when he was living with the woman who gave him birth. He said, Dad, I see them all the time. Some are tall, nine feet tall. Some of them are very tall and small and, and ugly looking. And Dad, sometimes I walk into the room and they're just standing there. And, and, and Tyler, what are they doing? He says, Dad, they're just staring at people. They're there listening. They're there observing. They're, in, they're at war. And they're there gaining information on you, the enemy. And they have insights. And I will tell you the truth, brothers and sisters, that you have demons that observe you and they know everything there is to know about your life. And if they want to, and if they have operated in a spirit of divination from somebody who's opened up themselves to that through the occult or through some false charismatic movement, having no idea who's ever laid hands on them, having no idea what kind of a spirit may have been imparted to them, them thinking it was the Holy Spirit, they can observe your life, they can have insight to your life, and they can give you information and lead you to believe that God has identified you. God has called you by name. God has pointed you out. You are special. You are loved. God has a plan and God has insight for your life. If you're doubting me in this, just go online and start to research the testimonies of people who have followed the advice of these prophets and completely, utterly train wrecked their entire life. And if you'll ever notice, almost always a word from a false prophet is something you want to hear. That God is somehow or another just going to be doing something so wonderful and glorious in your life. Many times that's the case. Whenever you look at the prophets in the Bible... Did they come with good news? Can you find a single prophet? I just ask you this. I can't think of a single prophet that ever came with good news. And if he brought good news, it was only after he had brought tons of bad news. And the good news is, hey, listen, if and when you get sick of all the wrath and judgment of God upon you and you turn from this, God will come back to you. That's the only good news. The good news came long after the bad news. Think about all the prophecies in the Bible. It's always a, a turn and repent message. Think about John the Baptist, the first New Testament prophet. And I'm shocked to read. Here it is. He's out there living in the wilderness. And it says, when the people came out to him, the people, not the teachers of the law, not the Pharisees, when the people came out to him, watch this welcome greeting John the Baptist gives. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. There it is. Greatest man ever born to woman. First prophet in the Old Testament. Does he come out and say, oh, you people, the Lord come. The Lord loves you. He looks upon you. The Lord has plans for you to multiply you, to help you to know him ever and ever. The Lord's getting ready to do a mighty change in your life. The Lord's getting ready to anoint you. The Lord's getting ready to turn and put his blessing upon you and do mighty things in your life. Okay, I think I've made my point clear on that. I believe this guy is sincere. I believe he's sincerely deceived. And it's 100% true, and I'm going to prove it to you after you hear this. This kind of stuff destroys people's lives. Now, I want to tell you, I believe this man's prophecy that night. This was my birthday, September 8, 2013. I believe Satan knows I wouldn't have fallen for a prophecy because, as you can already hear in my recordings, 
Now, by the way, this happens before I have had my eyes really opened to all this charismatic nonsense. I'm struggling and I'm wondering, is this stuff real? I've I've been asking God to give me more, but this is back in September of 2013 where I'm not yet having my eyes open to the certainty that this stuff is a counterfeit, that this stuff is designed to lead me to a false Christ, a false gospel, and a false spirit. 2 Corinthians 11, 3-5, Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lives, says, but I am afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, meaning crafty and subtle attack, that your minds may be somehow led astray from your pure and sincere devotion to Christ. For if anyone comes and preaches a different Jesus, a different spirit, or a different gospel, you put up with it easily enough. He's saying it's not that it's obvious. It's not like they're coming with a Jesus monopoly money and, and don't worry. You don't have to worry about being deceived. No, Jesus, Matthew 24, 4, first things out of his mouth when asked about the end times and the, the signs of his coming. See to it, no one deceives you. If somebody were to ask me, what do you see in the body of Christ today? I see the greatest revival of counterfeit Christianity, perhaps in the last 2,000 years. The, the, the revival has been a counterfeit revival. There has not been a revival of the truth. And so, here's what we're going to hear. In this first prophecy, he prophesies to a woman. He'll say, you right there wearing the green shirt. Now, he's had a, a pretty decent sermon. There's been a lot of truth in it. I have seen all kinds of things that contradict the spirit of Christ. As I look back on this today, he's one of these guys wearing the classy, nice men's dress shirt. Top button is unbuttoned. I believe this is a contradiction and a, a contradiction of the temperament and spirit of Jesus Christ. I believe that if you if you have really matured in Christ, if you're really walking deep in the Christian life, you'll be able to discern these things. And when you see a man come on a, a stage in front of the children of God, supposedly, and he's got that top button unbuttoned as if he's going to a nightclub, club. I used to have a business friend of mine that did it all the time. It drew me crazy because it's like an attempt to look sexy. You won't see me doing it. And I'm not saying I'm better than him because of it, but the spirit of Christ in me would not allow me to do that. I don't want to wear anything that would distract people away from the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to overly dress. I'm not going to underly dressed. I'm not going to go out and be unkempt. I'm not going to go out and dress in a way that draws attention to myself. I want my, my dress to be vanilla. With the exception of my False God Challenge t-shirt, I want all eyes on that because I want all eyes on that video. The motive is different. So there's little things like this. I also can see a temperament in the speaking that if you were to try to envision in place of this man on stage, you won't hear this temperament in these prophecies, by the way. He slows himself down in this and he doesn't have this back and forth and amen and amen and all that stuff going on. But if... He were to put a, a Jonathan Edwards, an A.W. Tozer, an Andrew Murray, a D.L. Moody, if you were to put in a J.C. Ryle or any of these people that I mention all the time, you would see that there is a contradiction to the person and spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus claims that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, if I feel that I could not dress in the way today that that guy is dressing on that stage and I could not speak to the audience and I could not have this voice inflection, this certain certain uh, uh, drawing attention to himself, certain kind of cool on the stage, you know, and also laughing about some prophecies. He gives some prophecies. He tells stories of prophecies he gave that were that were tr truly heartfelt sounding prophecies of of uh, uh, ministering to a child who'd been abused, uh, uh, of giving a, a word to a woman. She had rheumatoid arthritis at 80. And then it becomes this joking, laughing matter. And the audience laughs over something he says. And I say, I don't see how the spirit of Christ in you would allow you to make light of something so serious as the power and anointing and cherished uh, a presence of the Holy Spirit to give you insight into somebody's life. Have Have you ever heard me tell the story of when uh, a gentleman named Jesse had contacted me and he, he was uh, facing a 20-year prison sentence and being labeled unfairly as a, as a sexual abuser uh, and, and, and having to have that 20-year, you know, thing on his record and, and God used me to tell him so that he wouldn't kill himself because he was on the verge of killing himself. He was being having dreams of a man who had died in that city and murdered himself. It was in jail. That guy was coming to him in his dreams and saying, man, just get it over with. Just end all the pain. And he was very tempted to kill himself. So God spoke a word through me and I was able to tell him the future in this way. You're not going to go to jail for 20 years. You will not have to be labeled as a sex offender. 
Have you, have you ever heard me make anything funny about that? Have you ever heard me getting you or I to cackle laugh after I've told these things? There's nothing funny about that. That is a temperament that completely contradicts the spirit of Christ. Now, what I just told you happened five or six years ago. I, I, I shared that with that gentleman. Even today, I don't laugh and cackle about it. There's a seriousness to it. But these are the kind of things that you have to begin to look for. You don't look for what's right, brothers and sisters. Anybody can see what matches. You have to look for what's missing or what's there that is not in the original. This is how you discern a counterfeit. What is on that $100 bill that is not on the last real one you had? What is missing from that $100 bill that's not on the last one you had? That is how you discern a counterfeit. You do not say, oh, it has numbers. Oh, it has green. Oh, it has white. Oh, it has letters. Oh, it has a serial number. Oh, it has a picture of a dead president. Duh, all those things match up. You have to say, what's missing? And you have to get out a magnifying glass and you have to look closely. Otherwise, you stand to be a fool when you turn in the counterfeit. What you're getting ready to hear is a counterfeit. So this first prophecy, I want to point this out to you. I want you to notice how absolutely general this is. Two warning flags. It's very general. It could have been spoken to anybody in that church and it could have been true with the exception of maybe a mention of some creativity. Okay. He says, Hey, this creative thing you have in there. So if you were to speak to uh, uh, maybe an engineer and, and the guy could have said, Hey, he got this wrong. I don't have any creativity in me. Okay. But other than that, it's all very general. Number two, red flag. He says, God wants you not to wait for the power, but to seek after it. This is a total contradiction of everything God has ever written in uh, the word of God. And this is a total contradiction of everything God has ministered through me in these recordings. You do not go after God's power. You go after obedience. You go after faithfulness. You go after holiness. You go after prayer. You go after relationship. You go after loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. As a result of doing those things, the kingdom of God in your life becomes power. You do not go after the power. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, the only person fit for power is the one who does not want it. When King Solomon was asked of God, pray and ask me for anything you want. He did not say, I'm asking for power. I'm asking for riches. And God gave him all the things he didn't ask for because he asked for the thing that was on God's heart, wisdom and courage to lead his people. And God said, because you have not asked me for finances and because you have not asked me for power, I'm going to give you more wealth than anybody's ever had. I'm going to give you more wisdom than anybody has or ever will have in the history of my making men on earth. And he gives him this unbelievable power and kings come from all over the world to sit at his feet and hear his amazing wisdom. You don't go to God and ask for power. Unless it's to put down the sin in your life. You don't have to ask God for those things. You can believe God for power in your life once you've believed him for the other words that say to take up your cross, deny yourself, be faithful. All right, so that's a contradiction. I would never, ever, I could never imagine as a teacher of the word of God sitting in front of an audience and saying, people, God does not want you to wait for the power. He wants you to go after it. How would you even go after power except for to go after God in prayer, in obedience? If it's not there, all the praying in the world, it's like throwing up bricks. So I want you to now hear this. Here comes the first prophecy, and then I'm going to uh, share with my friends afterwards. I, I just have to stop right here, but right over here in the green shirt, yeah. God's plans for you are so much richer, so much more lofty in a good sense, than you could ever even realize or obtain on your own self. God's mind is all about you. His thoughts are all about you. God wants you to know the creativity inside of you is part of Him living inside of you. God wants you to know that He's going to reveal His power to you. But don't wait for it to come to you. Go after it. Go after it with everything that you have. The Lord beckons you to come near and to draw near to Him, and He will reveal Himself to you in a mighty way. Okay. This next prophecy you'll hear is the one that was directed to my friend. He's sitting to my left. He's a man I had known since I was a teenager. I want to protect his identity. I have not had any contact with this gentleman now in years. He is uh, much older than I am. He had uh, ran into him at church with his girlfriend, 
and we reconnected after having not seen each other for over 20 years. And so we started hanging out. And this was a time when I was doing a men's Bible study, and he had started coming to the Bible study, and he had cried crocodile tears. He had said, God changed his life through me. Everything was so wonderful. He just couldn't believe it. And I started hanging around and trying to really disciple this man, to try to really get in his junk, to go through his ugly divorces he had been through, and all of that kind of stuff. And this guy had a horrendous background of womanizing. I mean, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of women. Uh, Full-on sex addict, this guy. And so I had been trying to minister the truth to him, and he was just claiming that God was doing all these amazing things in his life and in his heart, and he seemed so sincere. He would come to these Bible studies and say things would come out of his mouth that were just amazing. So, He is with me this night at the Bible study, and this man is now going to pick him out and prophesy to him. And there, there was only two or three people that he did this with. I really believe that this guy's prophecy was more for me from Satan than it was for him. Because I'm at this stage where I'm beginning to be skeptical. Is this stuff really from God or is this a deceptive counterfeit? And I think Satan is trying to get me to believe and hold on to this idea that God has more. And I just need to keep persevering in this because this is kind of dramatic. I had been praying for this guy, hoping that God would touch his life. And suddenly we're sitting in church one night that I brought him to and he gets picked out out of, you know, maybe a few hundred people in the audience to have this prophetic word spoken to him, okay? Now, what you're going to hear in this message could have been a prophecy directed exactly to me. When he starts out saying, your whole life's been a case study, I literally had a friend of mine say, Mike, I'd give anything if I could put your life, you know, together in all these pieces. Years ago, he told me this before I journaled all this stuff. He said, your life is like a Petri dish, man. And you can kind of see how God works and how God doesn't work and so forth and so on. So this prophecy could have been almost identically spoken for me, okay? And, but no, he specifically points out my friend with the glasses and the gray shirt. That's my friend. I have this on video. I'm sitting to his right. And he even mentions sitting next to that guy. Well, that guy he mentions is me, all right? So he prophesies to my friend. And I'm going to let you hear this, and then I'm going to give you the truth on the other side of it. Here's the prophecy. And then this brother right over here with the, the, the four rows back with the glasses right there. I think it's kind of a gray shirt sitting next to the young lady and the guy next to you. You just turned your head. That's you. The Lord wants you to know something. Your whole life has been a case study. You case this out and you study that out and you look at this and you look at that. And the Lord wants you to know you're coming into a season of discovery. You're coming into a season of, of hidden treasures in your life. You're coming into a season of true purpose and reasoning, the reason that God has created you and the plans that he has for you. The Lord wants you to know you're coming into a season that's going to blow your mind. I remember a phrase I heard years ago uh, that we, we shouldn't live by, by calculation, but we should live by revelation. The Lord wants you to know that he's bringing you into a season of a spirit of understanding and a spirit of revelation, but he also wants you to know that he's going he's to set your life in a whole new course. He's going to spin things around. He's going to send you in a different direction than what you've been going in. And the Lord wants you to know it's going to be exciting, it's going to be good, but it's also going to be costly. The Lord is inviting you to buy the pearl of great price and to sell out everything for the plans that he has for you. Amen? Okay, here's the truth. I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. He says you're going to have to sell out everything to God. All right, the truth of the matter is this guy was in the process of having everything stripped from him whether he wanted to sell out or not. He had huge huge lawsuit issues. There were issues with IRS. There were issues with a business he had owned for many years that there was, I don't even want to get into the details of it. There was some serious, serious stuff going on where he could even be potentially facing jail. And this was one of the reasons why he was so humbled and so eager to find God's help. All right. As time goes on, This guy who just received this amazing prophecy about how God has been watching your life and things are getting ready to open up to you and amazing things are going to happen and clearly this sounds like God has big plans to bless your life. It wasn't too long after this that this guy I found out was still carrying on all this horrendous sexual promiscuity. 
Uh, I saw it on his phone, and uh, a roommate had testified. I mean, nasty stuff. I don't want to get into the details of it, but it was clearly something that had never stopped. It was still going on. It was still a devil in his life. And let me ask you a question. If you're living like that, do you ever in a million years think that God is going to reach through to you through a man of God and speak some blessing over your life? Have you ever read John 9.31? And we know that God does not listen to sinners, but he hears the prayers of the man who obeys his commands and does what pleases him. This is John 9.31. God does not give a blessed insight does not give words of knowledge to bless you when you are living in wicked sin how much less does he do it when you call yourself a christian when you show up in a bible study every week and you have jesus sweet on your lips and you have jesus sweet in your tears running down your face but you have some nasty things going on in your heart and you're living like satan it's a complete contradiction okay this guy that i'm talking to ended up becoming such a mess and I started seeing so many things that contradicted the spirit of Christ in him. I had to distance myself from him and excommunicate myself from him and not have anything to do with him anymore. I'll leave it at that. Okay. It got so bad. This guy who received this wonderful blessing from God that you just heard, this great anointed, you know, word from God about how he's going to be so blessed and God's getting ready to do this, a new thing in his life. Okay. He was nothing more than seed sown among the rock. And he believed with great joy and great intensity for a time. Uh, but when the time of testing came for him to have to put down his flesh and walk away from all that sexual pleasure and sin that he loved so much, he lasted only a short time. And he ended up falling away. I have no idea what's happened with him since, but I have heard from somebody else who saw him. And I know there's a good reason why he has never, ever contacted me again. It was an absolute mess. This prophecy, no matter how sincere this guy sounded, no matter how much truth he preached, no matter how much people were buying into his message that night, this guy just spoke, thus saith the Lord, however you want to call it. He spoke on behalf of God, and that is false. He was prophesying nothing more than the delusions of his own mind. End of commentary. And I was excited. I was like, this is so awesome. He just got this word, and I was totally buying into it. I, I was deceived because I so bad wanted to believe God was doing this, and I, I was deceived. That guy, that friend of mine, got that word. An opportunity popped up shortly after, and he thought, Mike, he came to me, Mike, this is of God, this is amazing, this is so, he was so excited. This opportunity, it's only God could have done this. He ends up selling his business, he's so excited. The deal ends up being one of the biggest train wrecks he could possibly imagine to the point now where he's being threatened with jail time. He's lost his real estate license as a result of something illegal the lady that bought his business from him has done. There's one nightmare deal after another, and this is exactly what happens to people that go to these prophets looking for these words, and then they don't pray about, instead of seeking God's direction, they're going to men, they come and put it in practice, and it ends in complete disaster. It is a curse. It's like God says, you ask for it, you got it, Toyota. And I'm sitting here, my eyes are open to this. I'm going, unbelievable. So tomorrow, I'm going to have a meeting with my friend to let him know that I absolutely believe that what he received was a false prophet. And I believe that it is demonic spirits that are communicating, that are giving these prophets these impressions. I don't believe that they think they're agents of Satan, but I believe they have opened themselves up to this. <clears throat> And I believe that these demonic spirits are able to give them thoughts, just like Satan was able to give Judas thoughts, and Satan was able to give uh, Ananias and Sapphira and put thoughts in their mind. And there's even a part in the scripture where God says, who will go and entice this person to go to war, I believe, and a lying spirit appears before God, and he says, I will go, and he says, how will you do it? He says, I will be a lying spirit in his mouth. These are lying spirits. I need to show that scripture that God even allowed it. So here's the story. It's amazing. I found it. It's in 1 Kings 22. It's about King Ahab. King Ahab is getting ready to go to war. And he calls all, all the prophets are prophesying in front of him and King Jehoshaphat. And they're all saying, this is what the Lord says. With these horns you will go, 
you will gore the um, Arameans to death, meaning you'll be victorious in battle. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah, which is a, a, a real prophet of the Lord, said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king, so you need to be sure you agree with him and promise him success. But Micaiah replies, As surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to say only what the Lord tells me to say. When Micaiah arrives before the king, King Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious, for the Lord will give you the king vic give you give the king victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him, quote, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. That means him. He's now prophesying that Ahab is going to die. Michael Commentary. This recording unfortunately got cut off, the original did, so I'm going to let you finish this by doing your own Bible study, but you want to definitely go look at this 1 Kings chapter 22 verse, where you'll begin to see that God says, you know, who will entice this Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? And one suggested this and another that, and finally a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. Here is the Lord God himself sending a deception, sending a delusion to somebody who has been disobedient, somebody who does not love the truth, just as Paul told us would happen in 2 Thessalonians. We have to be very careful. I'm going to let you go finish your Bible study about this. I'll end the recording here. May God bless you more and more with discernment. And if you love the truth, I promise you, God will show it to you.